Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. This episode is from our monthly morning prayer hosted by Shane Claiborne and Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove. Each month, we unite our hearts together in prayer using common prayer and liturgy for ordinary radicals, and we pause for a little time of reflection. Thank you for joining us. We're going to start, y'all, with morning prayer, and uh, we just do the liturgy together, and and if you don't have it in front of you, it's totally all right. Just flow with it, and uh, the link is there in the chat for the folks here on Facebook you can or, or YouTube. You can go to commonprayer.net, but we'll just start with a breath together. It's going to be a great time, and then we're going to pause and talk with and introduce Reverend Brenda Salter-McNeil. So let's do our prayer together, y'all. Let us pray. And we're remembering Bridget of Ireland. Bridget is believed to have been the daughter of a pagan Scottish king and a Christian Pictish slave. Even as a child, she was known to have a generous spirit and a compassionate, tender heart and was drawn to help the poor, the hungry, and the cold. Eventually, Bridget's father decided she must be married or taken into someone else's household because he could no longer afford to keep her especially in light of her excessive giving to the poor, which he feared would be the ruin of him. Bridget refused marriage and so became a nun with seven other women. At Kildare, she founded a double monastery for monks and nuns, assisted by a bishop. The perpetual fire at the monastery became a symbol of its hospitality and the constant undying devotion to God and to the poor. O Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. O Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Come, let us bow down and bend the knee. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We shall not, we shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. We are happy to be your children, O Lord. Make us happier still to extend the table. And this is from Psalm uh, 1. Happy are they who have not walked in the counsel of the wicked, nor lingered in the way of sinners, nor sat in the seats of the scornful. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on God's law day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in due season with leaves that do not wither. Everything they do shall prosper. 
We are happy to be your children, O Lord, and make us happier still to extend the table. Our gospel reading this morning comes from John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rose from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Mm. We are happy to be your children, O Lord. Make us happier still to extend the table. This is uh, Bridget's words, Bridget of Ireland. I would like the angels of heaven to be among us. I would like an abundance of peace. I would like full vessels of charity, and I would like treasures, rich treasures of mercy. I would like cheerfulness to preside over all, and I would like Jesus to be present. Hallelujah. So this is oh, when we, we get are, to pause now. Go ahead, John. Yeah, we are delighted to have with us the Reverend Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil, all the way from the West Coast, from Seattle this morning, where it's quite early. But you were, you were telling us that you have a long history of getting up early to pray. Is that right? <laughs> I'm not sure if I got up early to pray. I was drug up early to pray, but I made it. I tell you what, more than Reverend Doctor and all that stuff, every time I hear you guys say that, all I really know is that I'm your sister, and I am so happy to be with my brothers. I love you both very, very much. <laughs> 
Love you too. Love you. I, I, we'll, you. we'll get up for you at six o'clock too, Reverend. <laughs> I know you would. I That's know right. you would. <laughs> so basically, I grew up in a Pentecostal church and I still revere the spiritual foundation that was laid in my life. And, um, and I say that with great sincerity because when I went to seminary, uh, Pentecostalism, anything that was was kind of demeaned, looked down upon, mm, right? Mm. But I can tell you where people lacked a PhD, they literally had a covenant um, with God around pressing into prayer because where desperate people come to God, it's not like perfunctory prayer. Um, they, when you don't have health insurance, then you need a God who heals. Yeah, you know, uh -huh. when the judicial system does not work for you, you need a God of righteousness. And I was introduced to that God at an early age, and it was a non-negotiable. You were formed in prayer. So mm. I'm grateful to be in this prayer meeting. I thank you for calling me back to my roots. Oh, amen. <laughs> we, we, we appreciate your love for the Pentecostal tradition because we're talking today about racial justice. And in this country and in its long history of white supremacy being wed so closely with the institutions of the church, it must be said that tradition, that orthodoxy, that uh, um, so much of the establishment of the church never challenged the racial hierarchy, but Pentecostalism did because when yeah. the spirit moved, white yes. folk and black folk fell down together. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, they did. Exactly. Exactly. And so I and, and another thing too, Jonathan, I think that makes it significant is, and again, I'm not trying to say everything about the Pentecostal church was was right, you know, or or um uh lined up with everything that I now currently would want to espouse, but there were some foundational principles, right? And so that notion that it did bring people together, because even when I, I, I heard of this this revival that was happening in our day, it was called the Toronto Blessing. And yeah. I went to Canada. I'm telling you, it drew people from all over the place. It's I went there too. Yeah. You did too? Yeah. So where the spirit of God is operative, it does break down walls until we start mm -hmm. to try to establish churches. And uh -huh. then we decide, well, We'll, you'll be the church of God in Christ and we'll be something else because now people are going toward their power places, right? But the other thing that I loved so much was an emphasis on understanding that there is a real unseen spiritual world and mm -hmm. that unseen spiritual world does need to be taken seriously. So the more erudite and intellectual uh, we become, the less we believe that there are actually principalities and powers that mm. must be confronted if we are going to shift things in our world. And that's mm. where the church comes in. You know, mm. you know, yeah. you guys know I teach college and so often the college students say, Dr. Brenda, why do we even need the church? Because people seem to do justice and racial righteousness much better outside of the church than mm. in the church. And I, and amen, yeah. <laughs> they're right, you mm. know, yeah. true. But I'll say to them, we have been entrusted with the Ministry of Reconciliation. And mm. what we bring to the party is spiritual discernment. Yes. And if we could ever take that seriously and recognize that there is something called the spirit of fear mm -hmm. and the spirit of fear will cause good people to do very bad things, Christians Ooh. included. And mm. that's where we use our spiritual authority. Amen. And that's why I'm in a prayer meeting at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Because I believe that. <laughs> I know that. Right. This, this has very much been a vocation for you. 
And let us say, not when it was always easy, uh, you've been on this journey for some time, uh, preaching this call to the ministry of reconciliation and doing it even in places where folk often didn't want to take justice very seriously. So tell us a little bit of the backstory of how, how you got called to this work. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that that Pentecostal background, right, um, and, uh, was the foundation. I go away to college, and now there is a very narrow-mindedness that I grew up in in my little church, right? So you couldn't sing, you couldn't dance, you couldn't listen. I mean, secular music, singing, and dancing, going to, you know, all of that was over. <laughs> that was the old person, and mm-hmm. they expected a brand new you the day after you got saved. Period. There wasn't a long formational process. You just switched over. <laughs> and so I go to college and I have this narrow mindedness about how church is supposed to be formed and what people do. But then I get in, introduced to InterVarsity, Christian um, Fellowship, Campus Crusade, Chi Alpha, and all these white evangelical movements. And I also start listening to, ready for this, family radio, because that's what good Christians were supposed to listen to. So there was no more finger popping. Now I'm listening to Dobson and, <laughs> and, you know, I'm so sorry. I, listen, I, I drink it every day. <laughs> and that was, I didn't realize was forming me into mm. not just a spirituality, but a sociology. Yes. Nobody told me that they were weaving them two things together. <laughs> I thought I was listening to Bible study and, you know, because all, you get the general idea. Long story short, I was being indoctrinated into whiteness, period. And a socio-political belief system about the world. And this is true. Anybody who thinks I'm being political just doesn't know me. This is just exactly what happened. I was a college student when Jimmy Carter was president. Mm-hmm. And, and he was running for, the, for a re-election. Mm-hmm. against Ronald Reagan. I'm here to tell you Christians voted against that man. I was I was told that he was the uh, being used by the antichrist because of the salt treaty, the strategic arms limitation treaty that he signed with Russia and because Russia, you know, Christians can do something with scripture and the Russia has something to do with a prophecy and revelations about the bear coming down from the north. Christians did not want a Christian who was a Bible Sunday school teaching person and still is to this day, did not want that man to be in the presidency. And I voted against Jimmy Carter for Ronald Reagan. White, white uh, Christians. White, white Christians. Christians. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Please correct Reverend me. Jesse Jackson was right there beside him on the, on the campaign trail. Please, please correct me. Please correct me. <laughs> and that, that was a huge wake up call for me. Mm. Yeah, because I believe with all my heart and I trust that anybody in our prayer meeting today will say Jimmy Carter is just a plain Christian. Mm. He's always been a Christian. Mm. And I, I'm, I, I know. And thank you, sir. I see you, Larry. I, I'm here to tell you, Christians told young Christians like me that mm. we were not to trust this man who is a Christian for sure and has lived that way with his wife consistently. Yeah. Right. And so that mm-hmm. when I got further away from that, 
that's when I began to interrogate this weird conflation of Christianity, particularly white evangelical Christianity and a conservatism that mm. blocked out anything that had to do with racial justice, anything that had to do with women's in power. I was concerned now to see, I don't think this is the way, I don't, something in my mind and my heart and my spirit began to have to deconstruct that. Yeah, it yeah. made me have to say, I don't think this formation is leading to what people have suggested is the kingdom of God. Mm. And then when I go to these Bible studies, I'm on campus, I'm trying to be a good Christian. Nobody's mm. black in there but me mm. Mm. or very few. So it's all white. Nothing about my identity, nothing about my spirituality, nothing about the little church I came from where people were fervently impaired. Nothing of that was affirmed. Mm -hmm. I basically had to learn how to be just like them to mm. be embraced in this new thing called evangelical Christianity. Mm. And it took a while, but I began seeing that it was hurting the identity and the self-esteem of students of color. Mm. And it was starting to limit our understanding of the world God wanted us to create. Mm. Mm. Mama, hey. So when, 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 you know, you've been writing about this stuff for a real long time and you've been <laughs> you know, talking about reconciliation. And one of the things I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about is how that has evolved, right? Like there, I'm sure that there's some things that you wrote 10, 20 years ago that you would just underline right now. And there's other things that you you might say a little bit differently than you said back then. And one of the things I love about whenever I'm with you is as wise as you are, I feel like you're always asking questions. You're always open to the spirit, you know, like enlightening you to new things. And uh, if y'all haven't read Brenda's books, by the way, she's written a whole lot of great <laughs> books, but the Roadmap to Reconciliation 2.0, her new uh, Becoming Brave is an incredible book. Uh, and she's written all kinds of other articles and books too. But how, so what are some of the things that you've been saying for 10 years, 20 years that you, you, you want to keep saying? And what are some of the things you, you feel like you, you've needed to say that you weren't saying back then? Yeah, you know, and this is, I wish we could talk for all time because Jonathan, I appreciate <laughs> your your honesty when I read your work and you talk about your transformation and how mm -hmm. you had to, you know, it was so helpful for me to hear the candor of how you said, I saw it this way. I, 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 I thought I was doing this and I shifted that. I saw the need to grow from that. So one of the things, Shane, I think that several things have grown. You know, I continue to try to be a lifelong learner and I'm grateful for that, right? Um, I, I think one is, uh, okay, here we go. I just got finished reading an audio book, InterVarsity Press, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, the InterVarsity Press, IBP, who I did most of my books with, have re-released the first book that Rick Richardson and I wrote together. Rick Richardson is an Episcopal, uh, is Episcopalian, I'm Pentecostal. Both of us have a deeply formed spirituality, and we wrote a book called The Heart of Racial Justice, How mm. Soul Change Leads to Social Change, right? So that was our very first book. So you can imagine when you read your very first book <laughs> you feel like now see I might have said that a little different <laughs> and so I read for that audiobook but I had two really strong reactions one was um 
uh, how, how grateful I am that the two of us tried to lay out a spirituality of reconciliation, because mm -hmm. we talked about in that book, the spirit of mammon that causes people, because we translate it as money, but it's actually a spirit that believes that, that to prosper oneself, one can dehumanize others. There's this notion that it will do it at any by any means necessary, by anything to empower ourselves by hurting other people. So that's how people get trafficked. The spirit of mammon says, you know, justify your own self-aggrandizement and wealth-making prosperity seeking self and hurt other people. So the spirit of mammon must be cursed. And I was glad we named it. We talked about the spirit of fear. The Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but we think of fear just as an emotion. But the Bible says there's a spirit of fear. You see, I was happy we named it as a spirit, right? The spirit of empire that continues to take our nationalism and try mm -hmm. to make it normative for other people. So I would keep that. I, I've noticed that my, my positions and my, my um, toning down of my own convictions because I wanted people to know that um, I did not try to do any of this to make people like me. I was literally trying to be biblical. So I would not name controversial issues that I thought would cause people to, to think I had some sort of a uh, hidden motive, right? So I didn't talk mm. about sexuality at all. I didn't bring it up. I didn't talk about it. I didn't talk about my own political things. I wouldn't have said who I voted for. Like I said earlier today, I wouldn't have talked about that kind of stuff in part because I wanted people to know I wasn't trying to do anything that was trying to be polarizing, right? Now I feel like we have to call a thing a thing. I'm much <laughs> more clear about whiteness and I know exactly who I'm talking about and exactly what I mean. And mm. I think we have to name it as such. And that's not to say people of European descent are bad people. I'm saying that there was something created called whiteness that took away being Polish, Italian, Irish, Ger German, and, and all the other uh, Lithuanian, all the other identities that people had as an ethnicity. And that somewhere along the line became a social construct called being white. And yeah. that needs to be interrogated. And I'm very serious about it. Now, so people would say, she used to be so nice. My God, she was just sweet. <laughs> and now she talked about whiteness and I do mean it. And I, and I think we hurt people around things like their uh, sexuality. And I'm not taking sides. I'm saying this. I don't think we're supposed to be as mean and divisive and hurtful to people and, and go to people's funerals and, and, and you know, demean their parents. I just don't think that's what Christianity looks like. And I'm never going to stand up for that. I am just never going to stand up for that. And so, um, yeah, and my gender equity work is harder and stronger and clearer. I, I looked at the way I talked about God in this first book, and it was he all the way through. Mm -hmm. I do believe that the Holy Spirit is a feminine uh, mm -hmm. uh, noun. And I, I think we should say, you know, we can use more inclusive language to describe, to describe our multifaceted, beautiful, wonderful, awesome, glorious God. Hallelujah. I, th I think of a who was, I think it was Lauren Winter that said, almost every town you go into, you can find a church of the good shepherd. But why is it that we don't see a church of the mother hen? Because that's in there too. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so I'm doing better. Ooh, I love it. You know, this, I was, I was thinking about the history that you narrated this week. Uh, the 
equal rights amendment has officially been ratified. Now there's Hallelujah. some, there's some, uh, uh, there's still some argument going on with the archivist about, you know, whether it's going to uh, be written into the official record, but um, you know, that's a long journey long and it journey. takes us right back to the beginning of your story, right? You yeah. were listening to family radio because there was a movement that organized to stop the ERA. That's and right. And do it in the name of men's rights. It did it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> yes. So I think it's fascinating that you're you you've you've uh, you've become clearer and you've be, you've been speaking more loudly about the role that gender plays in all of this. I think that's so important. Yeah, I do too. I do too. And and the racial racial justice issue and patriarchy and the. Yeah. Uh, We've got to look at that. There's something going on there. There, and I really believe that. Uh, she, Lisa Sharon Harper took a group of women on a pilgrimage together around mm -hmm. women's suffrage and looking at the history of, and it was a very, very powerful experience for me. And on that, we looked at a, a film uh, with Cicely Tyson. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it, it had a, a, a particular scene in it where a slave master came. She played Harriet Tubman, actually, I believe. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, a slave master came to her cabin to get her on Sunday, Sunday. Hmm. And she had her on her one Sunday go to meeting dress. Because hmm. as an enslaved person, she only had one good dress. And the slave master had heard that she was saving up money to buy her freedom. And he came and got her on Sunday. She had on her one good dress. And he said, where are you going, gal? And she, he said, I'm going. She said, I'm going to church. And he said, well, I need you to go into town with me today. And you could see her face just sink. The mm. one day that she could go be in the Lord's presence, right? The one day she could put on her Sunday go to meeting dress. So she got ready to take it off. And he said, oh, no, you don't have to take it off. Just meet me down at the wagon. So she comes on down and she gets to the wagon. The wagon is there, but it's not, uh, no horses are there. And um, this this is this was powerful, powerful. And so she looks around looking for the horses and he's not at the wagon, but she looks at up toward the big house. And there's a party on the lawn with all these white women and white men having a wonderful time. Male black men, slaves, enslaved men are on the on the lawn serving them food. Somebody's playing a fiddle. And this, this slave owner comes out of the crowd and walks down to the wagon. And she says to him, where's the horses, Massa? And he says, they're here. And she looks around. She says, no, no, they're not. And then he looks directly at her. And she says, oh. and she said, I can't, I can't pull this wagon, master. He says, sure you can, gal. Now, this is where the patriarchy comes in. The white women and the white men who were on the party, on the lawn having this party, all come down to the edge of the lawn and they watch him put this saddle on her to start pulling this wagon. And, and she tries to, to take it off and he pulls his hand back. And so she starts to crawl to pull this wagon. And with each step she takes, the dress is being shredded off her body. Mm. And the white women, somebody say women, mm. stood on that lawn and laughed and jeered with the white men. Mm. And it made us all have to say, what was it in the, in the psyche of a woman to watch another woman dehumanized mm. like that? 
and somehow choose to side with the jeering and the and the ridicule of the men that were on that lawn. And I think on some level, what white women had to decide was, do I identify with her mm-hmm. or do I identify with them? Mm-hmm. And the choice was patriarchy. Mm-hmm. We'll choose to align ourselves as close with white male power away from the dehumanizing of other women because that's our ticket toward moving toward the freedom and the empowerment we seek. And that, I bring that story up to say, that's where we are right now. Mm -hmm. We have got to ask ourselves as women, is the alignment with power more important than the the humanization of Mm. people who embody the same gender I have? But will I conflict with laws and will I collude with power structures that dehumanize women so that I can get the nod of my father, my brother, my husband, Mm. those people who really own the power? Is Mm. that what's actually going on? I'd never thought about it that way before you all. But Mm. that one scene has made Mm. me constantly wonder, how do we as women start Mm. to ask ourselves, what deals have we made with the devil? And what do we have to do to reclaim our own sense of agency and, and integrity in the mm. presence of God? Mm. Well, and through, throughout the history of the church, there have been powerful women like Bridget, who we remember today, who you know yeah. stood up and said, the way this system is working, I cannot participate in it. I, I want to start something new. And I know you're working with a lot of young people these days. Uh, yeah. where, where do you see newness? Where do you see newness in the, <laughs> in the world and in the way the spirit's stirring? Yeah, I do see it too. And so thank you for asking that. And that word new, I think it's my word for a while right now. Um, I have been sitting in that text, new wine requires new wineskins. I sense it. I feel it. I believe it. I, Mm. I, I truly sense that what God is saying is that we're looking for something new. God is doing a new thing. Can you not perceive it? Right. And that I'll hear, I'll hear people say, you know what, I I have this idea and they'll throw it out. I'm going to plant a church and I'm not mad. I just think, is that new? See, I think, I think we've seen that one. (laughs) I think we done seen that one already. I, I think we're looking for something we haven't seen before. So in the name of Jesus, even on this prayer meeting, I pray that God would would launch an imagination, a creativity in the earth, especially Mm -hmm. so among the people of God, that we would begin to lean into the creative uh, ability to imagine that which we have not seen before, that we have not done before, that God would give us new ideas, new strategies, new partnerships, new ways forward. And I pray that we would have the the heart and the desire to say, if we've seen it before, it's not a bad thing, but it's not the new thing. And so, mm. Lord, show us something. Woo! Hallelujah, Jesus! That's a word I for the day. That's a word for the day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Lord. I'm gonna take that with me. Woo! Yes. I pray so. I pray so. So I pray all over our prayer meeting. I pray that we would press into God because we serve the Creator. God is creator. And so we don't have to keep putting a a fresh face on an old thing. 
How about we ask God for a new thing? a new way forward, right? And so uh, someone said to me just recently, because I, I really am praying into this and yeah. um, and I, I, I felt like I, I'm stammering because I'm almost scared to say it out loud, but I feel like God is saying to me that if you're looking for something new, you need to look outside the church. Now, and, and now watch this because God is dealing with me because I said, look outside the church, girl. I'm a church girl, God. You know, this is who I am. But let me tell you what I've come. I was said that to my dear friend, her name is Sandra. And she said, you know what? I wonder if sometimes we think about the church as a noun. She said, is the church a noun or is it a verb? And I thought, well, amen. Because I think we've made this box that we go into on Sunday morning, the church. But in yeah. fact, the church is the ecclesia. We're the called out ones. The church can be different. The church can look different. We don't have mm. to keep making it look the same old way. Mm. Perhaps there's a new way. Shane, you've been doing some new stuff for a long time. Ooh, we're and, all doing it. Yeah, I, and, I love that word, Brenda. Oh, yeah. So maybe we're looking for a verb and not yeah. a noun. And mm. maybe God is saying, you got to look outside the box. Mm. That little box that you go into every Sunday. How about you look outside that box? Mm. Woo! I think, you know, I, I, when you were saying that, I was thinking of the veil being split on the temple, you know, just ripped wide open. And not, not only is it kind of removing the barrier into the temple, but maybe it's also setting free all the holy things that have been held kind of hostage in the temple, right? So now Jesus is healing with spit <laughs> and mud, right? Like, <laughs> Uh, in new ways, right? I, I think of, uh, that part of what happens is that we're seeing God is not confined. You know, mm -hmm. that, that verse in Acts, that, that, that God doesn't live in temples made by hands. God's living in the streets. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what the pandemic's done for us in some ways, right? Is going, right. We're going to have to think new. We're going to have to uh, find church outside of just our Sunday public meetings. And this is a time, I'm going to take that word, Reverend Brenda, that, that this is a time for imagination. Amen. It's a time that God's doing a new thing. And uh, you know what we've been doing with our guns, you know, turning them into <laughs> garden tools. But every time I make one of these, I, sometimes, Brenda, I tell people, this is what a, a born-again gun looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. But but I like what we are declaring is that all things can be, be made new. Mm -hmm. You know, me metal that's crafted to kill can be recrafted. A heart that is so hardened mm -hmm. that it's filled with hatred. The spirit of God can do a miracle and, mm -hmm. and that heart can be made to love. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why Mandela, who we remember this month, he said we, we, we weren't made to hate. You're taught to hate. And if you if you're conditioned to hate, if you're conditioned to uh, you, you can be taught to love. So yes. it's a good word. All things can be made new. Amen. What you thinking, Jonathan? <laughs> oh, I, I, it's a good it's, it's <laughs> stirring down in my soul because uh, there's a there's a lot of temptation to despair in the world yeah. today. A lot of people who look at what is and say, hmm, maybe it just can't be made new. You know, uh, because you, you know, when you see that things are doing what they were set up to do, and so much of that is so uh, damaging, so harmful, so abusive to people, you know, we got an economy that's doing what it was set up to do. 
to serve people with wealth. We got in many ways a, a government that was doing what it was set up to do. It was set up by white men to make sure that white men stayed in power. And it's it, and for people who've worked so hard to change that, it can be hard to believe that these things can be made new. Yes. But I hear you saying that, you know, reconstruction has happened and it can happen now. It can happen in our personal lives. It can happen in our shared life. And that indeed is a, is a, is a word to open our eyes and pay attention. Amen. Where is God calling people out of the patterns and practices of this world into a new community that would not be possible otherwise? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's where we find church. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. And I'm happy to be finding it all over the place. Sometimes even in the buildings that call themselves church. Amen. Every now and then. <laughs> and you know what this for this section i just felt like oh lord you're so present with us right now and i'm so grateful because i can sense we stepped into something that i'm really glad we're having this public conversation around as we are centering ourselves in the presence of god because i'll say this there i am a college professor and i'm around young people and it gives me great joy i love it from my days within a varsity until now i'm so grateful that god allows me to be around these young people who are desperately hungering for something new they are yes. tired they are tired of the hypocrisy they're mm -hmm. tired of the complicity they're just tired and many of them are leaving the church they're just they they're still trying to hold on to god but they don't want anything to do with whatever it is we've organized right they are desperate to see us do something new mm -hmm. yes. we can't put a fresh face on it and we can't do the old thing and dress it up uh, we just came. We just came. They are tired. Listen, when you put the T-I, then tired, you are done. They are done with sick of us, the tired. And so in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray Glory. that if we would like to reach the generation who is giving up on us. Mm. I pray that we would have the courage to, mm. to step outside the box and do stuff and something new that we would have the, the audacity to trust God enough to be mm. willing to break the mold and believe that God can do something new, a mm. new thing, something that we've not seen that we don't control, something yes. that makes us feel like we got to pray again because we're not in control of this one. Yes. How about we mm. get out of the boat, get on the edge of things mm. and trust God to let us walk on water. I need to see a church that's vibrant, that's alive, that's willing to, to lead. Amen. Be the headlight, not the taillight, as Martin that's Luther it. King Jr. said. And that's going to require courage. And that's why I had to write, write Becoming Brave for me, mm. too, because my heart beats fast because mm. new sounds really nice when it's novel. And oh, yeah, we're going to do something new until you're doing something new and nobody else has done it before. It's scary, right? Mm. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. The mm. old at least is predictable and understandable and controllable. The new makes you nervous, right? Mm. Someone said that faith is fear that has said its prayers. And <laughs> I sense that God wants us to walk by faith, which is what the new will demand of us. Hallelujah, Jesus. <laughs> Feel Woo. like praying. Lord, hear our prayer. Yes, let's do it. Woo, glory. Mm. Yes, indeed. Well, well, what a what a gift! What a gift! This is a gift to us and to 
everybody who's been able to join us, I trust. You you brought us right into the heart of prayer. You sure Hallelujah. did. And we, I told y'all I was a Pentecostal, Ooh. right? Go ahead, yeah. Shay. No, I'm just saying if y'all if y'all are watching this video and saying uh, I wish I could share this, you can. We're recording it, so, so this is a good word. What a powerful time! The Spirit has been with us, y'all. Uh, so let's just, before we do, do the Lord's prayer, John, Brenda, how can people stay in touch with you? And, uh, I know we got you on the red letter Christians website, but let people know your socials and how to follow you. Cause you're, you are a gift to all of us. Thank you. Yeah. More than anything. I'm just so, so, so honored to be here. I don't do promotion as we need the, the three of us don't do promotion all that well, do we? <laughs> So I'm like, what is my social? Brenda Salter McNeil, you guys can find me out there on Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram. But more than anything, I'm grateful for this prayer meeting. I pray yeah. that God will multiply them around the country and around the world. I pray that uh, our prayers would, uh, would produce fruit and that mm. more and more people will sense that this is our, where our spiritual power lies. And mm. I really do mean that. When we start taking these kinds of things like prayer for granted, communion for granted, those things that actually are the empowerment center of the church, then we become like any other organization. It's our spirituality that makes us different, right? It's not our organizational skill. It's our spirituality. It's the way we tap into God. And so you can get in touch with me whenever you tap into God. Know that I'm tapping into God too. Woo! Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. That's, Hallelujah. Let's meet there. Let's meet at the throne. <laughs> Hallelujah. What a gift. Well, let's say the Lord's prayer together, y'all. And Jonathan will sing us out with our benediction. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Lord, help us to welcome every guest as if we were welcoming you, delighting in their presence and ready to learn what good news they bring to us. Amen. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you. Wherever he may send you, may he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Reverend Branda. Thank you Thanks. so much. Thank you all for tuning in. Joy to be with you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Red Letter Christian Podcast. Prayer and action are like blades of scissors. They work best together. For more resources on prayer, check our website, redletterchristians.org or commonprayer.net. And please join us for morning prayer on the first day of each month at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Thank you for listening.